this better. It's Monday night. We're back with a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that dares to mix comics and politics. Uh, tonight we've got a fairly well, it's a very high, uh, uh, hot topic in the comic world. We're going to be talking about uh, Hydra Cap and Secret Empire, uh, Marvel's comics' latest event, and it feels rather appropriate since the name is Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day, and it feels really kind of messed up that we have to remind people in even this day and age that Nazis are bad and shouldn't be glamorized and, you know, used as props the like they are in entertainment at times. Um, we've got some guests to join our round table, uh, but before I, you know, get to them and introduce a lot of my co-hosts, for those who don't know the big story that's been going on, it's been about a year in the making, but about, I think, last May of of uh, 2016, Marvel revealed that Captain America's past had been changed by a living, breathing cosmic cube, and he's been an agent of Hydra over uh, this his entire life. Uh, the Captain America that we knew didn't exist. While people said this was going to be like maybe he would be taken over in his mind, or this was an alternate reality, Marvel assured us that's not the case. Well, it's arguably that is the case. Uh, and that's all kind of led to this latest storyline, Secret Empire, the Zero issue, which is the first issue, don't ask, uh, came out this past Wednesday, uh, with the first issue will be out in a little bit, but it basically will uh, bring the entire Marvel Universe uh, fighting Captain America, who is now kind of the head serpent in charge of Hydra, and has been uh, putting the puzzle pieces in place to take over the Marvel Universe, obviously, this has made some folks rather upset taking the uh, most patriotic and stalwart and, um, you know, just a character that we need in today's day and age and uh, corrupting them like so, especially in a rather dubious and, uh, well, we're going to talk about that. So, uh, <laughs> sorry for this long intro, but hopefully now people are caught up and know what we're going to be discussing. But before I introduce our uh, guest, let me introduce my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hi, I've been really eager to talk about HydraCap with the people who are on the show today in particular. Um, I hope everybody follows them on Twitter because uh, Stephen Adewell and Jim um, have both been folks whose comments on Twitter, as well as you know broader commentatorship uh, on this subject, has been really influential for my thinking around the issue as well. So without further delay... Yeah, so I'm going to quickly do the bios of our two guests, and then we can dive into the discussion because I've already taken up way too much time. Uh, Stephen Hedwell uh, wrote the, basically the article that everyone quotes about Captain America being a New Deal Democrat. He really knows his stuff when it comes to Steve Rogers and the history of Project Rebirth and Captain America and really the Marvel Universe, hence why he writes People's History of the Marvel Universe that you can find at Graphic Policy. Uh, he teaches public policy at Cooney's Murphy Institute for Labor Studies. is founder of Race for the Iron Throne, which you go check out if you're a Game of Thrones fan. Uh, Jam is a writer and critic who often writes about comics, particularly from a race of, from a race and gender perspective. She's an editor at Comics Bulletin. She's contributed to Vice, Guardian, AV Club, uh, a person who, when they speak up, I am listening. Uh, I always respect her opinion. So it's awesome to have them both here to discuss um, what should be a very interesting episode. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks, Hi, thanks for having me. 
All right. I wanted to sort of, uh, yeah. Yeah, I want ahead. to kick it off. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to sort of get things started by just sort of responding to it on, you know, the broad level of, you know, I, I think we're all in agreement. I, I know we're all in agreement on this show that making Captain America Hydra is making Captain America a Nazi and is not a good idea, particularly right now. But I was sort of interested in hearing where you guys had your sort of top line reaction that you give when folks ask you, like, what is your, what is your response to this story as a concept? Um, I mean, for me, I guess, I mean, it's been so long. <laughs> That's like the first thing that I think about it. Like, it's been like a year. I think like a year ago was the first time that comics Twitter really showed its ass about this entire conversation. And it just hasn't really gotten any better in that period. And it's really been, I guess, been exemplary of a lot of, if not all of the problems in, you know, comics in terms of representation, in terms of respect for um, criticism, respect for marginalized criticism, and also an ability to parse context and symbolism. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's actually a, a tight little microcosm of, almost everything that's wrong in comics, um, almost everything. So, I mean, <laughs> my, my top thing that I kind of discussed really is that, um, you know, that there are plenty of people who better than me can probably explain the significance of Captain America to um, Jewish fans in particular and to Jewish people. Um, and that instead of listening to me talk about it or even listening to Nick Spencer talk about it, that they should be listened to which is the crux of the entire thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now for the other people on the podcast who are all Jewish. I think that's, you've got three people like, to talk huh. to about that. There you go. Yeah. But actually, I mean, your perspective is completely essential for me, and I'll go into a little bit more about that in, in a moment too. But uh, sorry, Stephen, go ahead. What was your top line response to it as well? Um, I mean, my top line response is just that I felt that the story from the beginning portrayed a fundamental lack of understanding about like what is Captain America as a character? Why do people, you know, respond to him, embrace him? And, you know, the sort of total unwillingness of both Marvel editorial and Nick Spencer personally, because, you know, my God, you want to talk about Twitter. This guy has been on a nonstop rampage. Um, to engaging with any of these arguments in a serious or uh, honest fashion. Um, and, you know, that this comes up in a whole bunch of areas. It comes up in, you know, the this big question of is Hydra Nazi? Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> all kinds of arguments. I, I, I uh, Jam, I really agree with what you said about, like, bad, bad uh, engagement with criticism and sort of bad reading comprehension in general, like an assumption that like retcons are unquestionable, that, um, you know, uh, you have, you know, either, you know, you, you, if you don't like this, then you don't like consequences in stories, but at the same time, it's going to be retconned immediately. And don't you understand comics? And just like a cavalcade of bad arguments for about, I don't know, a year and a half now? Yeah, a year at least. Um, it was the last week of May when all of this started because that's the first time I actually genuinely wanted to quit comics. 
Um, mm. So I remember it very well. <laughs> I literally almost quit comics. Um, I mean, yeah, I think I'm also like a bit bored now because it's, it's, it's not even like interesting things to discuss because I mean, I, how much time do you have to waste? when you have to take your argument all the way back to is Hydra a Nazi organization? How boring. Like I've literally seen a cover in which the Hydra like participants or like the members of Hydra are doing the sick aisle. So like what, why are we wasting our time? That's a waste of time. It's a waste of time for me to engage Nick Spencer or anybody else in facts. Like it's a waste. And it's <laughs> frankly, like it's also an affront in a certain regard because it's not only that you're stupid, it's that you also think I'm stupid. Like, <laughs> which I guess, I mean, figure it out, but like, it's unbelievable. And it makes it so difficult to like either do your job or like whatever your job is as a critic and to also like do this because you, you have to waste your time going so far back that you can't even get to any nuance because they're so goddamn basic. Like, <laughs> I mean, just for context, yeah, for context, I mean, like, Nick's, like, one minute Marvel is saying that Hardra aren't Nazis, and the next minute they're being clearly depicted as such. The the one minute Nick Spencer is saying that the comics don't reflect anything happening in contemporary politics, and the next thing he's saying mm-hmm. is that people who are critical of this current series um, are don't want comics to engage with immediate political questions and issues. Um, yeah. And, so, and it's just completely disingenuous. I mean, I do just want to say for folks who might not, who might be new to the conversation, like, you know, the reason that so many, like, there's a number of reasons that a lot of people found it offensive, but basically, you know, because specifically in this moment, like, so many people from, who are not, like, Christian, white, heterosexual men feel that the the message we're being given by the government is that we're not American. Like, there's a character who actually is, it's associated as being the most American superheroes who was literally built to punch Nazis by Jewish people. Mm. And of, of all the times to have that symbol be like a continuation of being, you being told that you're not really an American is it's really a shitty moment for that. Um, you know, and a lot of people feel like because the entire purpose of like, of, of Captain America is to punch Nazis. Like that's the first thing he did in his comic. It's on the cover of it. You know, obviously Jack Kirby literally fought Nazis himself in America as well as abroad. That, um, it, you know, Captain America like isn't an empty symbol to say that, okay, what if the good guys were evil and Nazis aren't an empty symbol. Nazis are a specific right. thing that are actually an immediate threat right now in a way that people in America might not have considered earlier. And Marvel I mean, had a whole year to realize that things in the state of America were not the way they might have perceived them to be a few years what? before. I think that's the thing that, that amazes me the most throughout all of this is that you know, there's, the comment, there's comments of, yes, this is a reflection on, on the way you know, the world is. No, this isn't a reflection on the way this world is. This mealy mouth back and forth depending on the time of day it is. And at C2E2, the writer Nick Spencer was asked directly if his story had shifted at all with the state of politics, and his response was no. And to me, he's either got to be tone deaf, stupid, blind, completely, like, ignorant and just clueless as to, like, the reality. I think any good writer would have shifted the story to reflect 
modern times and what's going on, even slightly, if it's a line or two to address what's going on as a we get it, we know, but to just say no, it, you know, this has been our plan for whatever, a year and a half, two years, and, you know, screw you all, we haven't changed it, just shows a, I would say, almost a contempt for, mm-hmm. you know, the, some of the point of entertainment. Entertainment, to some extent, is supposed to be a commentary on life in the world, and that's something that comics have been excelled at at times. And to reject that, is, is that's what I'm seeing, is just an outright rejected of being like, I've got a story to tell, screw you as to your reaction or how you're going to interpret it. And the fact that he spent hours on Twitter defending it, I think that alone signifies that this story or his meaning and intent is not coming through or it is coming through uh, and just not being, you know, accepted the way he wants it. Cause a writer should not have to defend his work like the way he's doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what to say about a lot of this stuff. Cause like, I think the thing that kind of gets me is that, you know, to start with, you know, I kind of mentioned this argument about, you know, people not wanting there to be consequences for characters they like or like whatever. Um, And I think the fact remains is that there was a way to tell whatever semblance of the story that maybe Nick Spencer wanted to tell, whether it was that actually like, you know, good guys can turn out to be bad or, or what have you. There was a way to handle both the story itself and the criticism that was received with nuance. And instead we were given this. And I think the thing that I find frustrating whenever, you know, I, I come up against um, pushback against a lot of criticism is that, um, you know, people can't consider another way forward that, you know, the way that it was done is the only way that could ever have been done. And some of that, in fact, most of it tends to be like self-protection, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I think almost all of this, from Nick Spencer, from Marvel, and from, you know, people's responses in general to discussions of racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, what have you, is to protect one's ego first, because you don't want to think that you're, you know, a bad person or that, you know, you've been advancing particular narratives or whatever. Um, But the fact remains that there were a number of different ways to approach even the most charitable interpretation of what Nick Spencer is trying to do. Because for me, I think there's definitely a way to write a story about how, I don't know, Steve Rogers as like a blonde, blonde haired, blue eyed guy actually ends up, you know, being complicit in systems of oppression, despite his best intentions. Um, I think there was a way to write a nuanced story about that. Um, I don't think that simplifying it and saying that, oh, it was just the cosmic cube and now he is Hydra or was always Hydra is either the appropriate or even like nuanced way to to tackle any of those themes. Um, So the frustrating thing to me also is that there are plenty of great things that could have come from a story that I'm guessing Spencer was trying to approach from this, but Mm -hmm. instead now here we are. And that's actually, and that's like maybe the possibly the biggest frustration of it all. I mean, the, the easiest story, right, would have been just, you know, Red Skull puts in his dealers like like uh, Rick Remender. So for those who might not know, and I don't know if anyone on, you know, all you know this was. So Rick Remender, when he was doing Captain America, he seeded this plot line that Hydra had infiltrated like every group out there and that there were secret Hydra cells. 
uh, Hydra uh, actors within the Avengers and X-Men and all these different groups, never mind that it's pretty much a recap of Secret Invasion. Uh, but you could have done that story with Red Skull even using Kobik and, and changing reality and having Hydra secretly actually be in charge of the United States and put Captain America in the position of being a tool of a fascist state as it becomes fascist. I think that would have been yeah. an amazing story, right? Like that would have been yeah. amazing. How does fascism corrupt a, a, a symbol of patriotism to, to meet its you know, ends and means? It would have been pertinent to the United States, UK, France, like pretty much everything going on, and it wouldn't have corrupted actually a character because at some point Captain America is not going to know this is actually going on, and he's been corrupted because he is a soldier and follows the state, and if done right, he won't have a clue whoa, that whoa, this whoa, has whoa. happened. Hold on. Yes, no, no he disagree. <laughs> no, when, when Captain America thinks that the state is going wrong, he overthrows the president of the United States. I mean, in Marvel yeah. continuity, Nixon shot himself in the head because right. Captain America exposed him as the leader of, you know, a right-wing, uh, you know, organization of people who wore pointed hoods. You know, right. Captain America comics have always held out, you know, this idea that, you know, he is actually an idealist. He's always been an idealist. That, you know, his line about I'm loyal to nothing but the dream, which, by the way, Nick Spencer has decided to, uh, you know, steal to, to uh, you know, recontextualize his loyalty to Hydra. Initially saying this is someone who believes in a certain set of ideals and that those ideals take priority over an allegiance to a state, which is often oppressive. <laughs> oh, yeah, like completely agree with that. And that would have been the ending. Steve, you, 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 you told my ending okay. of the story. I mean, there's so many like angles yeah. that we could have had here right. too. Like we have, um, we have um, Sam Wilson as Captain America and those mm-hmm. two juxtaposed against each other, uh, like Steve Rogers as, and as a white Captain America who's advancing fascism and a black Captain America who has to deal with a public who's kind of rejecting him to a certain capacity because he's not Steve Rogers, and then also actually proving to end up being, you know, the person who's actually intervening in, in the necessary way could have been really great. Um, there's, there's lots of different, different ways that this could have gone and lots of different ways to carefully handle it, but, I mean, it's, it's really a shame, I guess, um, and frustrating and angering. <laughs> Yeah, I I was wondering whether maybe that like, because I'm always trying to figure out like how how did this happen? How how was the thinking working? Because I always thought that having Nick Spencer do both Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson was like trying to do that, and mm-hmm. initially at least like especially the first couple issues of of uh, Captain America Sam Wilson were you know pretty pointedly political like anti, you know, pro-immigration, you know, anti-corporate exploitation. And then it just like nosedived, you know, especially when the whole issue with the the campus left and then the sort of the Ferguson analog. And it's like all of the oxygen in that comic just evaporated. And that kind of like potential to do that, I think is gone now. I don't think you could actually pull off that story. Yeah, you couldn't. I mean, in some ways, it's like I, 
I think so. So my favorite writer on um, on Hydrocap, or my favorite critic on Hydrocap, is actually Charlotte Geeter. And so the other day she was. Oh yeah, she's um, great. Yeah, she was tweeting about like kind of the connection between um, Steve Rogers and kind of Nick Spencer's conduct in terms of believing in intention as being the ultimate arbiter of the justness of an action. Um, and I've been thinking about a lot about the two of them functioning in a similar manner because. I mean, at the end of the day, basically, like, this is what happens when white liberals get high on their own supply. Like, <laughs> no, like, I mean, that's, yeah, no, that's absolutely. this, this yeah. is it. Like, this is what happens. Like, when, you know, I mean, I say white liberals, but what I really mean is, like, any kind of progressive who on a particular angle of oppression is the oppressor and then believes that they're helping and because, you know, they're a person who helps, they therefore can't, you know, oppress anybody else. So... I mean, the archetype for this is obviously the white liberal, but there are plenty of other axes on which this is true. But I mean, you know, all of these guys, like, and it's, and it's not just Nick Spencer. That's like the realest thing though. It's plenty of guys mm-hmm. in comics, plenty of people in comics. It's Mark Wade. It's Dan Slott. Mm-hmm. It's all of these dudes who are like, you know, all of, you know, all the people on the right hate me. All the people on the left hate me. I must, you know, there just must be no way for me to take any kind of criticism seriously. And it's like, nah, dude, <laughs> You know, like, I think the way that this happened was that you have this guy who maybe, I'm sure, started with the best intention and then did not know how to handle criticism, but for to completely double down. Like, I really want to make sure, yeah, I definitely agree. I I really want to make sure, actually, we talk about Sam Wilson just a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I know that a lot of us were really excited that there's going to be a Sam Wilson Captain America book, and I, you know... I, I, when I heard that he was fighting against uh, anti-immigrant uh, border patrol folks, which are real in the real world and are now super empowered because of Trump, um, I thought that was really cool. And, I, and then w- right away we saw, yeah, we had, as soon as there was any criticism towards Nick Spencer, he decided that protecting his ego was more important than engaging in an honest political conversation. And I really want to talk a little bit about the social justice warrior uh, archetype characters in the um, in Cap in Hamilton uh, Captain America book, uh, and I, I I think like you guys both have had such sharp analysis on it. But basically, for folks who didn't read it, and really you, you all don't need to. That's what we're here to do no. for you. Um, he uh, we torture ourselves. Uh, some, yeah, exactly. Uh, a three uh, co- like college students who uh, were, like, basically used what would be loosely termed as Tumblr social justice jargon um, to fight uh, fight CAP. And it was very much clearly, like, written by someone who didn't actually know the terminology they were referencing, uh, but essentially was setting up a straw man enemy to stand in for Nick uh, Spencer's critics, who are predominantly people of color, Jewish people, and women, LGBTQ people, who criticized his work. Um, so rather than engaging with folks in an honest way, he like literally decided to make satirical stand-ins of his critics, and then deny that that's what they were. Be- um, before you, I mean, before you answer, oh, I, I got. Well, no, I just can you. So there's a part of that that I reread that arc in the issues around it with the trade recently. Um, can you also maybe talk about the Flag Smasher aspect? I don't know if you've read that issue, because I thought the Flag Smasher issue leads up to 
the social justice warrior issue. Like, it's like two or three issues later. Hmm. I mean, I haven't read it, but the one thing that okay. I was going to say is that I actually don't really care for the particular line of argument that says that Nick Spencer is responding to his critics in, in that issue. Um, hmm. I don't really care for it, not because I think it's true or not true or what have you. Um, mostly it's just because, like, I can't prove it either way, so I don't like to talk about it much. Um, but instead, what I do like to talk about is kind of an ability to in, to understand contextual arguments and what a text is arguing for and what a text is not arguing for. Um, and I think it's part of both the social justice warrior criticism um, but also um, part of a criticism as a whole of like the handling of um, Captain America for the social justice warrior thing. Um, I think, I don't know. Spencer said like a ton of stuff about why he did what he did. And he, I think his basic justification was like, Oh, they're bad because they use violence. And so everything else is kind of excusable, but he's not really paying attention to the way that society tends to um, dismiss the nature of marginalized criticism and um, the nature of, you know, certain aspects of social justice. So for him to contribute that mocking in that way, despite the fact that he was trying to make a separate point, um, the text needed to criticize that in a way that it didn't. Um, mm. And so he's not really able, at least as far as I can tell, I, I'm not saying that, you know, commenting on his reading comprehension or whatever, but just based on the argument, that he's made in response to it and both the writing that, and as well as the writing that he's done it doesn't seem like he's really able to understand larger kind of structural context and arguments for the way the text function um, and when that comes to Captain America I think part of it is that you know you have him and you have like Joe Hill talking about how like you know people just don't want bad things to happen to characters they don't want characters to be bad but the thing is is that you know there's not really been at least from my minimal readings of the comic, which is very minimal because I haven't really read them, but I've yet to really see anything that has criticized um, Cap's behavior or Cap's mm -hmm. choices or anything like that. Part of that yep. is a function of the way in which he became Hydra, which is the cosmic cube, which means that no decisions were made. It's just facts or new facts. So it's a bit harder to kind of criticize the character when the character hasn't chosen anything. Um, the right. writer everything happened to him mm -hmm. um, so it, it both makes you know him kind of in a weird way not culpable for his actions but then mm -hmm. also Nick Spencer doesn't want to be culpable for his own actions um, I mean I've had a conversation with him where he's like you know I'm just a freelancer <laughs> so like you know I think there's no real estimation here of power structures or you know larger actions and context and anything else. And I think that's really among the roots of what the issues are. Mm. Um, one of the points, I feel like you were the one who raised it, Jam, and, and I apologize if I'm not, was that you really heard Sam Wilson verbalizing a lot of hand-wringing, both sides do it, you know, false equivalency language, um, acting as though uh, critics of oppression and perpetuators of oppression are both at the same level, mm -hmm. uh, and that was essentially a form of shock puppetry. I mean, when any white person is writing a character of color, like there's huge questions around, like how are you representing people whose experiences you don't have access to? But especially when you're giving them political arguments, like 
that are quite possibly ones that this character would never actually hold. Um, I, I thought that that was, I thought that was particularly astute. Thank you. <laughs> because, you know, it's like, I'm not, you know, it, it was specifically, so, you know, like, I, 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 were you the first, were you the person who said like, were you the person who said like that Nick Spencer was basically acting as though um, Sam Wilson was his black friend who could offer his approval on his opinions and say, oh, oh yeah. my bad, my black well, friend. I actually said yeah. something way meaner than that, but. <laughs> please, please proceed because I was just, our, our listeners need to hear. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I said was at least Bendis' children are real. That is very Ooh. true. True. Um, <laughs> you know, but basically, yeah, he's created a black superhero to carry his own political beliefs that. Um, and then when we react to Sam to Sam Wilson's very like weak white moderate, which he sounds like a weak white moderate because he's written by one belief to have it be saying, well, he's a black superhero and that's what he thinks. He's like, but he's written by a white man. He's a character. He doesn't actually have uh, his own political program. Um, And, you know, Falcon has a long history of pushing Steve Rogers um, to a racial justice perspective. Like there've been like from Jack Kirby's own work, um, You've, you've had Falcon basically call Steve Rogers out on Steve Rogers, like the sort of white privilege and racism that we all hold, even when we don't want to, if we're white. Um, like Jack Kirby had Falcon doing that, like back in the Silver Age, um, which, you know, shows you that you can have like a white patriotic left wing superhero still fuck up on racial issues. And then when, his, when, then when the black superhero tells him he's fucked up, like the white superhero is like, oh, Okay, I'm listening to you because I don't know everything. This is the thing that Jack Kirby did in the Silver Age, um, but now you said we have a stock puppetry happening. When it, yeah, I, I, I thought that. Yeah, sorry. I mean, this is something that's kind of unique to comics in a certain capacity, in that you know, I mean, not that unique in in the way that you have like black actors who will be speaking the lines maybe written um, by white people in terms of like television or film, but um, at least you know black people are getting paid. All- <laughs> in a certain capacity and there at least is some semblance of representation in, in, on that angle but comics is kind of a thing where you can completely kind of diversify your line in terms of um, your comics line in terms of you know increasing representation of disabled people or queer people or people of color or women and you could still have your staff be completely unchanged um, part of that is you know comics has been very eager to put these people like put characters on the front of things, but not actually give marginalized people any access to these stories to these stories. So again, I mean, this whole thing is a nice little tidy microcosm of the vast majority of things that are wrong with superhero comics and, you know, comics at large. I mean, you know, there are plenty of people in indie comics who are like, Oh, it's just art and art can do whatever it wants and art can do whatever it wants, but that doesn't mean that the creation of art, um, cannot be conducted responsibly or should not be cr- criticized because it was conducted irresponsibly, um, which is another, yet another set of frustrating lines of criticism. Um, One question that we got from a reader listener that mm-hmm. I really want to hit on and I have some theories about is um, what do you guys think about the potential perceivable link between Nick Spencer's comic and Perlmutter's actual politics? So Ike Perlmutter is the president of Disney 
Uh, he gave bajillion million dollars to Brett always has these numbers in his head to uh, Trump and is generally a vile person. Um, and Bob Iger, actually, who's the CEO, is also on Trump's economic council, while simultaneously claiming that he supports progressive tolerant values. He's on Trump's tech, uh, uh, economic advisory council. Um, do folks have thoughts about how any of that maps out? I think there's no, there would be no connection because Perlmutter is a, a pencil pusher and a number cruncher and has no editorial say. And Marvel's editorial generally is fairly progressive. So that's, I think, what's the more interesting is that no one that Spencer has dealt with has stepped in. I think that's the bigger question as to why the hell no one has stepped in going, this is pretty fucked up. Uh, yeah, you know, right <laughs> so I, I kind of wonder because... Sorry. No, no, please go ahead. I've talked too much. You know, I kind of wonder because, you know, we've had comments from folks in Marvel editorial basically, uh, you know, like Tom Brevoort and others basically saying, like, we like to piss off our fans because we think it improves sales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, both in the, the Sam Wilson comic and, you know, since I spent the whole weekend reading Captain America, Steve Rogers, there's like a lot of moments where it feels like they're poking fans with a stick where it's like, you know, let me, let me take something that you care about. I know you care about cause you, you subscribe to this comic and just jab you, you know? So, okay, let's make cap a member of Hydra. That's, that's one thing. Then a few issues later, let's have cap be sent to execute Dr. Erskine, a Jewish coded scientist so that, the super serum gets changed from Jewish exile science to Nazi science because now it's Arnim Zola who made Captain America, Captain America. You know, mm-hmm. let's have Captain America strap Bucky to a replica of the rocket that like initially killed, you know, that it was supposed to kill him. Or uh, c- can I spoil the whole free comic book yes. thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all spoil let's, it. Let's, it is rotten. Okay. It is rotten. We'll tell you what happened. Let's That's have Cap hold. Um, let's have Hydra Cap holding Mjolnir and being seen as worthy. You know, right on the page. And part of me really does feel like this is, to an extent, Nick Spencer getting back at some of the people who, you know, criticized him by saying, like, I'm going to prove to you. And, you know, either I haven't made, you know, I haven't ruined Steve Rogers because, look, he's worthy. You know, Thor's hammer says so, as if that, you know, like Sam Wilson, this thing that supposedly, you know, imbues moral virtue wasn't fictional, and you can't make it do whatever you want it to. I actually think there's this, the irony of having him be able to pick up Mjolnir because so many Nazis like love Viking and Thor mythology. Yeah. Like it's just, I don't know if that's awesome. Um, so the, my, my theory on it all is that it's like the WWE philosophy of business. And that if we can get our fans worked up enough and pissed off enough and talking enough, they're still going to come back because we, we like whipped them up in that way. And they deep down love it which I don't think is actually true, at least in this entertainment, but there's that weird, yeah. like, WD, WWE aspect of it all, of, like, we're going to go and turn heel, and that somehow is going to work out in the long run. 
Um, I'm I, glad I, you brought up the WWE because I know nothing about wrestling except for like three <laughs> things. Um, and one of the important things I know about is exposing the business. Mm-hmm. And so here's the thing. Um, I think uh, I can't remember who, which one of you guys had said this, but um, I agreed with half of what you said. The first half being, I don't think that Ike Palmer and Secret Empire really have anything to do with each other. Um, I think Ike Palmer is a sleaze and that Nick Spencer is a well-meaning white progressive, um, which are two functionally identical things, but one with different intentions. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> one is possibly more able to be re- rehabilitated. What I don't agree with is the notion of Marvel's editorial being progressive. <laughs> and I think... And I think part of that and why this happened is the protection of the business, not just from, you know, Tom Brevoort, who's like notoriously ridiculous, um, but also, you know, kind of the silence from the collective, like silence from other creators, silence from pretty much anybody who's in any position Mm -hmm. at all to kind of say anything negative. So this Mahonier thing, like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like if no one has indicated to Nick Spencer that he's going to be stopped, then why would he stop? Like, I mean, this is, this is going to go as far. He's, he's going to push this as far as he possibly can. Marvel's going to push this as far as they possibly can. Like to me, like looking at that page, I was just kind of, it's, it's like, it's sad, I guess in a way. Cause you know, it really just kind of underlines how little this person understands textual power and all of these other things. Um, but it is also infuriating, like, because how are you going to come back from this? Like, what is the secret twist after this that's going to make all of this nonsense worth it? Like, what, Which what also it... brings up the whole issue of, of consequence, right? If right. you're relying on an author saving throw at the end of this to, like, unscrew yourself, you know, that's not consequential storytelling. Yeah. Speaking on the like WWE thing, I did want to um, recommend the the work of Colin Space Twinks, who's been yeah. doing some yeah. really, really good deep dives on like the fundamental flaws of the Marvel business model, and you know if this strategy of like antagonizing your readership and like ever worked, it stopped working. And I, I did a little digging myself. So Captain America, Steve Rogers, where he says, you know, Hail Hydra for the first time, right? That was the number five comic that month. It sold 99,000 issues in, in the direct market, which is a whole another thing. Uh, the most recent issue of Captain America, Steve Rogers, was like number 73 and was down to 31,000. You know, and I think we'll see with Secret Empire. Like, there's not going to be a huge bounce for the Captain America, Steve Rogers book. You know, there will be a short uptick for the event, you know, for whatever fans decide to follow this, although I think there's a lot of fatigue with Marvel events in general. Um, But I don't think it's going to work in the long run. I think, you know, the reality is people get really turned off by this shit, and then whenever there's like a relaunch or a reboot, you know, this Marvel legacy thing that they're going to do, I think a lot of people jump off at that point because they're like, I'm – sick of reading about, you know, a Nazi Captain America. I firmly predict that Batman button issue is going to beat this one. 
this month, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Flash button issue beats Secret Empire t- number zero as well. I just want to say though, I, I feel bad. Like, remember, was saying that the Batman Watchmen button thing is just as offensive as Hydra Cap. I'm like, no, it's offensive. Nope. Ooh, God, it's no. not as offensive as Hydra Cap. Like, insulting an artist's creation is not as bad as creating work that is glamorizing actual evil um, and is hurting people in the real world. Like I, it's just not, I will also say I'm not going to buy the button, but it's not on the well, same scale. Um, I want to, I, I want to ask Steve a question though, because he would, I think out of everything, he's going to know the history like way better than a lot of people out there. It was, so with the history of Hydra, like the thing that I've kind of noticed is that there's this weird attempt to rehabilitate them in a, in a way like they clearly was, were Nazis analogous, uh, when they first came out, um, uh, uh, Red Skull refers to him as his way to bring about the fourth Reich. And then there was this yep. weird switch where they became this like Cthulhu worshiping organization. And mm-hmm. I can't remember when that actually began. If that was the, the yeah. shield series, secret, yeah, was it, it Secret it was, Warriors? Uh, 2010 Secret Warriors, yeah. Okay. So this kind of brings up this whole issue of, of Nazism and Hydra and retcons that I want to talk about, which is Marvel, for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, and you know, I, I think I just constitutionally can't, have been trying to denazify Hydra uh, since 2010. Like, you know, for as much shit deservedly given Nick Spencer, he wasn't the first, and I doubt he'll be the last. Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and I've seen this argument a lot out in, in the media or on social media. But the problem is, one, contrary to this kind of argument from authorial authority, right, fandom doesn't have to accept retcons. And quite often retcons will fail to stick because fandom just says, no, we're not going to put up with this, Right. Ben Riley is not the real Peter Parker, and that's such a less <laughs> significant thing than, you know, is Hydra Nazi or not? So, yeah, Hydra has been Nazi from the 60s up until 2010. You know, they've tried to do this, like, weird secret society. They're actually Egyptian responses to an alien invasion back in the Third Dynasty. Who cares? Like, people have read decades more issues where they've been actual factual Nazis, and as a lot of people on Twitter have pointed out, um, you know, you look at the people who are supposedly in this, like, non-Nazi, um, you know, new Hydra that Stephen Rogers has created. You know, Dr. Faustus, right, he's a Nazi. He's, like, <laughs> created Nazi, or, you know, neo-Nazi organizations in the United States that, like, in the 1970s wore white hoods and like had swastikas on their shield. You know, Arnim Zola is a Nazi. He cloned Hitler. Guys haven't been retconned. Like he hasn't bothered with any of that. They're just there in the new Hydra. And, you know, every time he tries to say, well, you know, this is a fascist organization, but they're not racist. You get like these bits and pieces, which from his own work, which say the opposite. So, Civil War to the Oath, right, where Cap gives this speech where he's basically endorsing the hatred of mutants and inhumans and saying, like, 
you know, these people are evil, and, you know, how dare you call us bigots for, for being afraid of them. We've learned from solicits that, like, Hydra is going to be putting, rounding up in humans and putting them in camps. Like, that's Nazi. That's not your fake, non-racist organization. That's Nazi behavior. I think it's also kind of the idea that you can be fascist and not also be racist. Um, it's very interesting yeah. to me, I guess, um, mostly because I, I would love for somebody to explain that to me. Like for somebody to mention the notion of fascism, um, whether, how, whether it's the way that it manifests itself historically or even in this story, how fascism is a, is a separate entity from racism and has nothing to do with actual racism or nothing to do with actual antisemitism or nothing to do with any form of discrimination at all. Um, you know, this kind of authoritarian um, nationalism inevitably comes with either some kind of xenophobia or some kind of sense of who's an outsider and who's an insider. And the mm -hmm. those lines are inevitably drawn in some discriminatory fashion. So mm -hmm. to me, I'm trying to figure out how, even if I allowed the premise that Hydra is no longer a Nazi organization, but is a fascist organization, then we're still left with the problem of Steve Rogers being a party to everything that comes with fascism, even if it's not the brand of fascism that's specific to Nazism. Well, I, I think uh -huh. the interesting on that Absolutely. is is the oath, I think, is the key issue that, that basically blows away any argument that Marvel's made or Spencer's made for that one key panel is that now everyone, you know, people now are being like, oh, my God, Inhumans are going to be in, in camps. That issue shows Inhumans or mutants in camps. Like, there's a panel with them behind barbed wire dressed in, the only way I can describe it is like very similar getup to, uh, to people in the Holocaust. And then the panel right next to it is a kid of darker skin. I mean, like it could be the coloring or the inking or whatever, yeah. but I'm going to say a, a person of color being chased by clearly white kids, many of them with white or blonde hair with Hydra shirts on, like, it's not just a you know, like they can't take the argument that the racism and the and the anti-Semitism and whatever else that you know they're trying to walk away from from Hydra exists. That's right there in those two fucking panels. Not to mention Red Skull in that Captain America Steve Rogers. I think it's early on when he goes and starts whipping up people. Yeah, it's like number He's, two. Number two, right, he's using language and outright saying, like, we are taking on the immigrants and this and this and this, you know, reflecting the real world, you know, language that was being used by Trump at the time and the, the far right oh, yeah. of European. He explicitly right. um, references the European, the, like, the Syrian refugee crisis. He's yeah, really so it's up. one of those, yeah, so it's like one of those things that as much as they want to attempt to distance and they attempt to do this distance this with this hey this is it's a split organization but even if it's a split organization which is i think Spencer's argument is that you know caps part of the real hydra not red skull's not the hydra caps vision has concentration camps and a person of color being chased down by blonde-haired white or blonde-haired uh, blue-eyed white kids like it's still fucking problematic what <laughs> Like, yeah. No, <laughs> Oopsies. That's that's I, inconvenient. I, 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 yeah. I really wanted to talk about that Marvel has a new promotion. They are asking comic stores to 
deck themselves oh, out like yeah. Hydra, uh, like Hydra secret bases. Um, Why the would you make a resistance? I mean, the promotion involves T-shirts for store employees. <clears throat> I'm assuming different displays and stuff. I went ahead and I contacted my comic store and I asked, are you guys participating in this? And they said, no. And I said, thank you. And my, my, you know, one of my, my friends who works there was like, she's like, yeah, like everybody who works here is like a woman or a person of color and queer. Like we, even if like management said we were doing it, we, we wouldn't. Um, and I, the idea that you would show up in a place that, you know, comic stores are known for not being welcoming in lots of circumstances. Mine is, and I highly yep. endorse it. Um, but uh, to, to, to say, to think that somebody would be going into their normally positive comic book store and find themselves surrounded by crypto fascist imagery. And the thing is, like, let's say you're like really a hardcore DC reader and you like don't really know who Hydra is, you're still sort of looking at like, oh, these, this is fascist imagery, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking into a space that's sort of using it. And the thing, the, the Hydra logo is a beautifully designed logo. It is some beautiful fucking marketing and branding, just like the Hugo Boss Nazi, Nazi uniforms were. Yeah. And yep. there's something very visually <laughs> compelling about the Hydra logo. And so this combination of this Hydra logo that's like great design and having it all over the store is both problematic if you know the context of it being Nazi or and if you don't know the context of it being Nazi. Yeah. Because it's seductive. Um, I think uh, a couple of people have brought up the part, the point of um, stormtroopers from Star Wars versus mm-hmm. um, Hydra within the Marvel and the Secret Empire context. Um, and I think the question has been asked, do you have a problem with you know, people dressing up as stormtroopers at cons. Is it the same thing? Why is Hydra any different, et cetera, et cetera? You know, like if Marvel had a Star Wars promo and they wanted, you know, to have comic shops decorate their um, decorate their shops as like, you know, the Death Star or the Star Killer or like whatever iteration of Death Star they're on now, um, wouldn't it be about the same thing? But unfortunately for you know, Nick Spencer and Marvel, um, the whole premise of Star Wars is um, that the Empire is bad and that, um, and it's not just that the Empire is bad, it's that textually the Empire is shown to be bad. Um, and that even if the hero in some in some elements is Darth Vader and or like is an anti-hero or some kind of semi-heroic figure at certain points, um, you know, he's shown to be textually incorrect and wrong. Um, so the stormtroopers become kind of a, have a different significance, even though they're obviously soldiers of a fascist state um, to wear a costume of their image isn't to support their background because the entire premise of star Wars is that stormtroopers are to be destroyed. Um, whereas, you know, in secret empire, we haven't really had that yet. I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if it's coming. I don't know if like, you know, we have all just somehow collectively missed the part where, as I said, you know, there's no real textual conversation about the ethics of this conduct because a cosmic cube just showed up and changed things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's a bad idea, and it's a bad idea because Marvel's bad at its job. It's not a bad <laughs> idea because the idea of, um, you know, covering covering the area or like covering the comic shop with, with Hydra is intrinsically poor. 
it's poor contextually for political reasons and poor contextually because the comic stuff. Like, if they'd written a better comic, then maybe it'd be different, but... I think the the real-world context is also hugely important here, which Mm -hmm. is, like, you Mm -hmm. don't see, you know, fascists on Twitter using, you know, stormtrooper icons. We see them using Hydra icons. You know, I'm I'm damn sure that there's going to be, you know, pictures, you know, Hail Hydra was like a whole fucking Twitter meme. I'm really sure we're going to see photos of, you know, fascist cap holding Mjolnir, you know, on Twitter or, you know, circulating throughout social media used to recruit fascists right now. Like, there's a political salience that I, I think can't be ignored. So I, I, I feel mm-hmm. very differently about it than I would about, say, if, if they were doing an event with AIM. Right, and they had everyone dress up in those ridiculous-looking yellow beekeeper, beekeeper outfits. Keeper. God, I love those. Yeah, like, those are somehow inherently doofy and, like, not threatening. Whereas, you know, I'm sorry, you know, no matter how much they want to say it's not the case, there are real-world cultural political implications of HYDRA and HYDRA imagery. Mm-hmm. To- and like kind of the aestheticizing of um, that imagery too, yeah. like part of what Alana yeah. was saying about the Hugo Boss element and how kind of how kind of cool it is. To answer the question earlier, Jam, you you asked about uh, an example of a fascist thing that maybe isn't racism. I don't mm-hmm. get that vibe from Star Wars, like the Empire mm-hmm. or even oh, the First yeah, Order. No, I never no, no. quite. I I, could, I, I don't. It could be in the movies. Yes, I, I love you, but you're wrong. No, the okay. movies have specifically have had it be without what the, the storm that the um everybody in a position of power in uh, the empire is white and in fact yeah, in the recent movies that. they've been very clear that they're always human right so and British yeah okay and, and British yeah. good point that's so the only thing I could think yeah, of yeah like yeah. if it's different like you're like well, well you know like like Django Fat he doesn't like work for the empire per se he's like a consultant you know. Or Finn was kidnapped as a child, right, and a child soldier. So, like, but like people who are actually like members of that are are all white British people or human. Well, Jingo Fat's a collaborator, but <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that is a point. But I think also, um, I was more thinking of real world, real world fascism. But I guess like Star Wars ends up giving itself a pass in a certain way, like because it doesn't set up ethnic difference in a weird way. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. they set up like difference between alien species. Um, but I think it kind of sets up, sets that up as mostly equitable. Um, so I don't know the history of like all of these different planets and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is definitely a fair point that the fascism of star Wars seems to be um, independent of kind of any other political concept beyond authoritarianism. Um, but then like, I guess my response would be, that things that are sent that are set in the real world or that are confronting real world issues have responsibility to engage with those things. Um, well, yes, that's the big difference is the empire didn't actually work with Nazis. Like that's, that's really the short version of it, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like in the story of Marvel, the Hydra worked with Nazis. Like this is a fact, like you can't argue against that. So it's kind of apples and orange Thing. If Nazis existed in a galaxy far, far away and the Empire worked with them, 
well, then that would be a a, a good comparison. But that's mm-hmm. not reality. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Well, Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, we're going with the with the marketing and the the brilliance of having people dress as Hydro. Why won't you have people dress as the Resistance? Like, isn't that the better thing? Yeah. To get people interested in. And I will the say, I do want the co- I no do want the Cosmic Cube when they send it out. I want the Cosmic Cube I mean, when they, really they just come to... out. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, that would be good to say. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, they've, but they've done they've been doing nothing to show right. real organized resistance. I mean. And this has consistently been the case because they've depoliticized any – they really depoliticize a lot of things that could otherwise be sites of resistance in their stories. Um, that's I, you know, thing, like they, Yeah. I would say that's the thing that kind mm-hmm. of amazed me out. Let's see if you, if you agree with it. And, Jam, you've kind of brought this up, I think, a, a few times, in that you know, the story is that Steve was just changed, and that's that. And during the whole Steve Rogers uh, – Captain America's story, I've been waiting for them to maybe give some insight as to why why he's changed and like how he's actually been indoctrinated and like what's this philosophy that he's being brought into and it's not there. Like it's never there. And then you had the oath, which was very political in that it kind of sets out Steve's philosophy. I think the, the comic itself is like muddled in all of the logic that's in there, and then you get the Secret Empire number zero, and it's almost like devoid of of any politics whatsoever. And it, like we're just going to completely ignore any of like this explaining the uh, of this philosophy of, of Steve. Like there's this. At, it feels like the whole buildup is at some point Steve is going to explain his philosophy, and we never get there. Yeah, it's it's all this kind of like weird vague rhetoric about like the wheel and I'm the man at the wheel and I something, something, something. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was, I was talking about this on, on Twitter um, earlier today or yesterday. I was, you know, because I'm in the mood, right. How is this comic different from all other mind control comics? Um, <laughs> and I, I, I hit on three things. One, the protagonist hasn't been given the agency to fight back. Like, Mm -hmm. we've had lots and lots of comics in which Captain America has been brainwashed, he's been cosmic cubed, he's been body swapped, you know, he's had Dr. Faustus try to drive him insane, he's had his body taken over, you know, so on and so forth. But at every opportunity in those comics, there's been this opportunity for... Steve Rogers to fight back, to like show some agency, right? To be, as you said, like in resistance. Number two, uh, in the past, writers were very clear that like what's going on is brainwashing. It's evil. It's not genuine. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Nick Spencer, we've had this like trying to have it both ways PR bullshitting about, you know, oh, this is the real Steve Rogers. He's not being brainwashed. This is what he really thinks. Um, although they'll backtrack on that the moment that they get they get questioned, uh, and that happened to the C2E2 panel. And then the third thing is length. Right, previous brainwashing arcs were a couple issues, not one to three years. And what that meant was that, like, if you were deeply unhappy about seeing Captain America be brainwashed or evil, at least you knew that, like, in a couple issues, he's going to snap out of it and, like, punch the bad guys, and all will be well. But here, it's been the status quo for a year or more, 
and it's going to keep being a status quo for months on end, and then we're going to have the aftermath of this, and it's like it's never-ending. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like you, uh, uh, Jim, like it's it's fatiguing. Like yeah. You just get burned out being angry about this shit because you know it's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I think, and then it's also like the like the cherry picking, right? Like the yeah. like the convenient, you know, wanting this to be like an incredible political story that I think I I mean I don't like to I actually hate putting words in Nick Spencer's mouth, but I think I'm not off off the mark here when I would imagine that he had really envisioned envisioned telling a story that was very political and very interesting, um, and you know, kind of shook up a lot of people. Um, I mean, I think that's even, I mean, actually, I don't think I'm even putting words in, in his mouth because I think that was kind of the position that he and Tom Brevert took in the initial interviews about a year ago. Yeah. Um, but then they kind of found, okay, this is not going the way that we wanted it to go. So now the only solution here is to say that it's not political, but to kind of stay the course. Um, yeah, I, and to not I'm just sure, stay right. the course, but I mean, kind of in the ways that were earlier mentioned in terms of saying Hydra's not Nazis, but then including characters like Dr. Faustus, like kind of picking and choosing things, but not wanting to deal with their full implications or not wanting to deal with the downstream consequences of the significance of these things. Um, and I don't know, I mean, it, I keep thinking about this, but it is very... I guess I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but now I suppose we do have to talk about it. Um, it's kind of like, you know, representative of, you know, the current U.S. in a way that I doubt that anybody really intended to be, but absolutely is. Um, in terms of, like, selectively remembering history, selectively, you know, choosing to take on certain ideas and not others, and not really following any of the actions or, or thoughts to their logical conclusions and really taking the appropriate care when engaging with things that have historical power. Cause the thing is anybody who wants to write for Marvel, who wants to write for DC, um, I mean, which includes myself and plenty of other people, I would love to write for DC one day because there's absolute power and meaning in the symbolism of these like 75 year old characters. Like it means something to have Captain America or Batman or Superman put in certain situations and asked certain questions and being forced to respond to them because part of what's being interrogated and part of what's, you know, being moved and shaped are all of the things that come with them historically. So for Captain America, it's not, it's not just, um, you know, the blonde and the blue eyed, which is part of it, but it is also kind of the history of Jack Kirby creating this character in a certain scenario and a certain historical context and what it means to go back on that in this particular fashion. Um, you know, I, I've, I think somebody the other day was tweeting some nonsense. Oh, I think it was um, Shanti Collins was tweeting some nonsense about like Captain America formerly being a Nazi um, as written by, by Jack Kirby. But um, as always, context is paramount. Because for example, I could write a comic about a black person advancing white supremacy um, and it would mean something different if a white person did the same thing for mm -hmm. obvious reasons, um, <laughs> up to including like, you know, I'm putting my own personal experience of those things and understanding the things that I'm playing with, whereas a white person doing the same thing is advancing white supremacy in a completely different way. Not to say that, you know, for example, black people can't be um, parties to anti-black narrative or things like that. 
but inevitably the context is different and the context matters. And if even a Jewish writer had decided to make these choices, I think people would have responded in a different way, whether, mm-hmm. you know, whether because it would seem that this person kind of has like a, a different view of the situation or, or if, if anything, because, you know, you're just more inclined to trust somebody who, you know, has had enough personal experience with a set of issues and as such will handle them with care. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think the things I'm thinking about right now are responsibility and nuance and context, which are all the things that I wish Marvel Comics would think about or anybody would would think about. You know, it's not just an issue for corporate comics. As I said, it's an issue for literally anyone who puts anything on a page symbolically, which is a heavy burden, right? Like, it's a big thing to ask for somebody, whether whether it's drawing or writing, to be conscious and mindful of these things. But if you're not, things can go terribly wrong. And it's, it's a big responsibility to tell a story. And I think, you know, it's, there's been every, you know, reaction from Nick Spencer and his cohort from this is just a story to the latest tweets, which I think are about, like, starving a symbol in a glass case of emotion or something. I don't oh know. Oh, my God. Um, but regardless, yeah. like, you know, if I could ask for one thing from Nick Spencer and Marvel, I guess, it would be consistency and, um, oh, I guess I'm only allowed to ask for one thing. It would be consistency, but in such hmm. a way that they basically take the things that they're saying to their logical conclusions and to see if they like what they find. Hmm. That's really powerful. Um, I, I, there's been such good stuff on our Twitter feed today. I just want to give a shout out for a little bit of it. Um, mm-hmm. Annie wrote, and I, I've, I've heard this, uh, I think it's very true. Annie ever says, argument re hydrocaps being intentionally uncomfortable to show bad stuff can be done by the U.S. doesn't persuade me because I already know that, which was retweeted by loud penitent saying, creator, colon, surprise, sometimes the authorities are actually assholes out to kill you, but lied about it. Marginalized folks, colon, we knew. Um, yes, cosign to that, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I think it's interesting because, like, there's sometimes where I actually find, I almost find it easier to have to write those stories about icons than I do about other things. Because, like, I guess the thing that comes to mind is, like, I don't think I'm ever going to watch 12 Years a Slave, for example. Um mm-hmm. I'm just not going to do it um, for lots of reasons, but the main one being like, I think I know. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got out of Holocaust free content now because yeah. of my family. Like, you know, I don't, I don't it, have it, to watch things that are set in the Holocaust. It's I, interesting, it's right? Because like, yeah. on the one hand, I do totally want more stories. Um, if, if stories need to be told about slavery, I would rather them be told by black people. Um, but in a weird way, I'm also like, you know, pass for me personally, but every white person should go get a ticket and live through that. Um, (laughs) But the interesting thing is like, I guess I don't, I think I don't fully agree with Ani in a way that like, I always have trouble with escapism because I think that it's very, very important. Um, But I think that if we're going to, and if we're not going to engage in escapism, then the people who suffer from it shouldn't be the people who are already suffering. That's the way Mm -hmm. I would put it. So if cap is escapism for um, for Jewish people or for just people in general who feel um, 
then the story that you want to write needs to be written in such a way that those people don't feel undermined. And the most frustrating thing is that it's totally possible. Um, I think that, and I, I guess I said this earlier, but like, this is possible. Like it's, it's, it's a thing that can be done. Like this thing, the story can be written with the appropriate nuance such that, you know, these things are respected. Um, and instead the kind of behavior is that this is the only way that it could have been done. Um, and that also to me is very frustrating. I'm sorry to like repeat myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, yep, that's yep. kind of my take on that. Yeah. So my, I've talked, told Steve about this, but my issues is not, isn't just how muddled this all is and the back and forth and the wishy-washiness is it's, not creative in any way like mm. secret empire is secret invasion done again and i i jokingly made a, a graphic at one point they both have secret in the name the bad guys are both green it both involves uh, a hero winding up being a bad guy funny enough secret warrior spins out of both of them um you know, you can go down the list. It's the same story done again with like different antagonists. Um, it's it's not creative in like any sense of a thing. Like in both were major events that spun out of things. You know, it's it's just it's all it's so weird that it's yeah. I, it's just beyond frustrating. Like you, you could well, there could there is a good story in there. And it's just I, I, so I far that, gone at this point. I think that hits on something, which is like all of this statement about, you know, oh, this is brave and bold and, you know, you've got, you know, you can't trap people in glass boxes or whatever. Like all of that is reliant on the underlying story having weight, having mm-hmm. worth, right? <laughs> like if you're going to do this story, man, do you need to execute well. You need to you know, knock it out of the park completely because otherwise, like, all of the ugliness that's at the foundation just swamps you. And having read all this shit, it's not great. A lot of no. it's pretty boring, and what's not boring is vile. And, you know, so it makes me feel like all of this has been done to zero, like, there, I don't think anybody's going to look, uh, look back on this comic in 10 years' time and say, like, wow, that was a really good, you know, arc. Or, you know, that was a really great era in Captain America comics. They're going to be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, there was that time when Cap was a Nazi. We don't talk about that much. Like, that's what it one is. more it's day for Cap. Yeah. It's the clone, the clone uh, conspiracy for Spider-Man and one more day for Spider-Man mm-hmm. for Cap. Except I do want to emphasize that Dan Slott tried to make that comparison. That like well like it is that on the level of it being like every fan knows this is bad and will will it will be resigned to the dustbin of history. Uh, like it's real. What's the point? And those things. Yeah, I mean that's the problem. No, I mean it's realizing like there's actually right. political content to this, which is why like people are angry. And I'm just so tired of. And this is a consistent problem we see, particularly from creators who are of certain generations that. Uh, of which Dick Spencer is actually not of that generation, but um, where they don't, they can't distinguish between criticism that is, you know, I don't like what you've done to my character or even criticism that's like, I don't think this is successful as art because of X, Y, Z versus 
this is racist or this is sexist and let me explain it to you. Um, and not seeing that as being in a completely essential distinction to understand. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to make sure I hear from you guys, because we talk a lot about like, you know, I, I definitely want to be clear. Like, I don't think anybody needs to sit and read this shit because it's shit. Like I, I, I'm, uh, you know, life, life is too short for, for bad comics. And, and we have this conversation here because this is an important public conversation to have. But um, I just want to be clear to our listeners, this is not like saying, oh, yeah, so go check it out at your store. We're not. And instead, I'd love it if each of you guys could maybe give a suggestion of a political comic, past or present, that you think is worth reading, a comic that does engage with important political subject matter um, and has something to say about it, unlike this story, which engages in it and just fucks up what it wants to say about it. I'm happy to start if folks want an example, but <laughs> please. Yeah, um, please do. <laughs> so I, I was just, you know, much the the late and lamented loss of uh, Nighthawk by David F. Walker and Ramon Villalobos, you know, mm-hmm. at Marvel didn't get any kind of promotion other than like when it came on our shows, really. Uh, we had Black Batman fighting Chicago Police Department right now, like. The Chicago Police Department is an active danger and enemy of the people right now. So, you know, if you're looking for a superhero who's taking on a contemporary political problem in his story, that is one. And he's also fighting luxury apartment developers and sort of showing the connections between luxury development and uh, racist cops and how these are systems that interact with each other. Um, really a comic that took on systemic racism as well as the specific engines of that in our community. And I continue to be shocked and amazed that he was able to get Marvel to run that. Because, like, like I would periodically post pictures of, like, here's Nighthawk punching a cop. (laughs) This is in a comic put out by Disney. This is amazing. Um, And uh, meanwhile, we have Nick Spencer hand-wringing over whether or not it's okay to punch Nazis. We have actual like, superhero punching the Chicago Police Department, mm. and not only is the political content amazing, but the art actually is like dynamic and shows someone who is aware of the way people look, dress, and act in life, and it's quite striking. So, if you're uh, so yeah, Night Nighthawk is still timely as hell, and. Um, I'm a little bit behind on my Occupy Avengers, but I was like, they actually covered water protectors before Keystone XL was a huge thing. Um, I mean, like David F. Walker, he's just like sneaking the politics in and the uh, getting away with it. Mm. I think mine is probably, I mean, I've written about this before and talked about it before, but mine's probably the boondocks um, mm-hmm. for lots of reasons. Um Mainly because, like, Huey understands me. Um, But also because I guess, like, I think it's really frustrating and also important to realize how long we've been saying the same shit. Um, Mm. You know, like, I mean, Boondocks is, like, what, I think 20 years, is over 20 years old now um, in terms of when the strip first started and 10 years since it actually ended. And it's, it's the same stuff in terms of discussing, like, white supremacy, police brutality, um, military-industrial complexes, 
et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the kind of, you know, half like relief that somebody else is as frustrated as you are, but also half exhausted because, you know, somebody else was saying the exact same things you are to pretty much no effect. Um, and I guess that does also feel a little bit resonant to uh, Captain America and my feelings on the last year of discourse. Um, I mean, I don't know, guys. I'm I'm really tired of saying the same thing over and over again, like in a very comprehensible way that people refuse to just pick up. I don't know if the rest of you guys are, are tired, but I'm quite <laughs> tired. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm quite tired of making very basic points to very basic children. Um, but here we are. Anyway, you should definitely read the Boondocks. Is is my general um feeling on that. <laughs> Uh, my recommendation would be uh, Jason Lutz's Berlin Trilogy, uh, which is a uh, trilogy of graphic novels about uh, the rise of Nazism in uh, the 1920s and 30s. And it's this amazing ensemble comic, people of different classes, religions, genders, gender identities, sexualities, races, like dealing with you know, a, a meticulously historically reconstructed picture of like what it would be like, what would it, what it was like to live in Berlin at the time. And it has so much more to say about like actual issues of Nazism and fascism than anything Nick Spencer has ever done. So I highly recommend it. Definitely have to check that one out. Awesome. <clears throat> uh, mine would, yeah. What was the Berlin trilogy? All right. I'm going to have to Google that one. Uh, so my would be, I'm going to kind of go like Steve, and uh, my suggestion would be a bunch of graphic novels as well. Um, I stopped watching news and instead had been watching Vice because I feel like, and other channels of international news, just because I feel like I am missing out on other perspectives and the world as a whole, and I think actually Vice for our generation does a great job of opening eyes and covering shit that's not being covered by mainstream media, ironically, even though they're owned by mainstream media. Uh, so I've been doing that with comic books as well, and there's been some really fantastic graphic novels that are coming out and have been out. Um, the best we could do was Abrams' comic art uh, about a Vietnamese immigrant and uh, coming to the U.S., Six Days in Cincinnati, which I can't think of the publisher, but that one's about the riots in Cincinnati in early 2000s. Um, I mean, the the amount of graphic journal- journalism out there is absolutely amazing um, and will, I think, open your eyes to the world and different perspectives and what's going on there. So uh, I would say put down the, the monthly comics and, and maybe look at some of the, the longer form stuff being done in graphic novels, because I think that's where a lot of the uh, more impressive uh, look at the, the world is being done. Uh, and if you like monthly comics, uh, I would go with Green Arrow would be my superhero pick. I think Ben uh, Ben Percy actually does a really good job of mixing in politics with uh, superherodom, um, and it's just touched upon enough that uh, like the themes are there and allows the reader to kind of explore it a little bit, so he taken on um, a police abuse in his one arc and um, 
some small topics like that, while it's not heavy in the story, I think it's like just touched upon enough to be kind of aware in there. So uh, sticking a monthly, that would be the one suggestion I've got. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us. I know these are conversations that we've all been having online a lot, and it feels like we've had them for a while, but I realized that the podcast, we, we haven't tackled this yet. And we want. We think that our, I felt like our listeners really needed to hear from you guys about the subject. So I really want to thank you for your time, Sam and Stephen. Absolutely. And where can our listeners find you guys online? Uh, where can they read more of your work, Sam? Oh, um, well, I'm always yelling about stuff on Twitter. So at um, eleven after at e l e v n a f t e r. And then I write for the Garden, for the AZ Club. Um, I have a column that I do sometimes on Tumblr, write for women, write about comics. I'm wherever. Just Google me. You'll find me. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Atwell. Uh, you can find my work at Graphic Policy, uh, at Lawyers, Guns, and Money, and also at Race for the Iron Throne. Yes. And... And I'm, as always, at Ilana, E-L-I-N-A, underscore Brooklyn, on Twitter, all the time. And graphic policy. <laughs> yes, you can find us at uh, on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Tumblr and the website, all at Graphic Policy. Uh, the website's graphicpolicy.com. Uh, I want to say, Steve and, and Jan, it's been awesome having you. It's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for for uh, doing it. Thank Especially you. Especially a frustrating one. I think that's the bigger thing. Is it's such a frustrating conversation. <laughs> Thank you for taking the bullet, basically. All right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Good night. Thanks again. Night. Night, Good guys. All right. Uh, that was a fantastic conversation, I think. Uh, hopefully a lot of folks will, will think about things and uh, kind of the bigger picture and maybe some comic creators listened and definitely fans were listening based off of Twitter. Um, so thank you everyone mm-hmm. for, for tuning in, uh, and, you know, hopefully we, we made some sense and maybe got you to think a little bit, uh, and towards the end gave some, some solid suggestions. There was, uh, I do want to mention one, uh, uh, person S lemons on Twitter also had some great, uh, suggestions for comics with politics. Uh, the suggestion was truth, red, white, and black. Uh, obviously March is an amazing trilogy and should be on everyone's to read list. Uh, Prez, which is a favorite of mine, a uh, series that was gone too soon uh, from D.C. about a teenager who's elected president and just super smart writing about politics. Uh, that same writer, Mark Russell, also writes The Flintstones, which is honestly one of the most political comics out there currently. We need to have him on the show. Like, we have yes, to we're, we're, we're working on that one. Uh, and then we've got okay. Transmetropolitan, uh, obviously is a classic and all great suggestions and um, absolutely on all those. Uh, but yeah, so if y'all came in late to the show, you want to listen to it again, you want to share it with your friends, it'll be up on iTunes in probably a few hours. It'll be up on Stitcher in a few hours as well. And then it will be on graphicpolicy.com tomorrow as well as SoundCloud. So you can go uh, listen to it again, share it with your friends, and please like go vote for it, give it five stars, thumbs up, whatever system you're getting on, like show some love and uh, subscribe as well. We much appreciate that. Uh, we will definitely be back next week. We've got an episode with a, hopefully a guest. Um, I haven't heard hundred percent confirmation, but we'll be back next week. 
Uh, it will be later in the week. It won't be on Monday. It will be the third, probably. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, cool. Uh, so it's going to be on the third. So pay attention to Blog Talk Radio. We'll have that episode up as uh, soon as things are confirmed and, and checked off. And, as and always, our podcast for the second week of March is also going to be on Wednesday as opposed to Monday. We'll be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy on May 10th yes. with the filmmaker David Brandon Wilson. Can't wait for that. Sorry, Brandon David so Wilson. Much yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yes. It's fun. Hopefully the, the movie's a fun one. Guys. Yes. It'd be, it'd be nice to be able to talk about like fun, positive comic stuff. Like that, that, We need to do that. Uh, mm-hmm. So tune in both of those. There are going to be some fun shows. Of course, always want to hear from you. Check us out every day, graphicpolicy.com. As always, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, until next time, as always, I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky.